our scripture lesson this morning, the New Testament lesson, comes from the last verses of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now, if I say the book of Revelation, what are the images that leap to your mind? Images of destruction, of judgment, those kinds of images. However, the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation, uh, chapters 21 and 22, um, at the beginning of chapter 21, there is put forth a vision of a world made new. It's a vision of a world where death is defeated and where every tear is wiped away from every eye. And so keep that vision in mind as these last verses of the book are read. This is chapter 22, verses 12 through 21. And let us listen for God's word to us today. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gate. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of the sermon today is Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the season for graduations. There are no graduations in my immediate family, but I am enjoying scrolling through all of the happy pictures of joyful kindergarten graduations, high school graduations and college graduations. And all of these pictures of graduations bring to my mind memories of um, past graduations that I have had the privilege of enjoying. And I will have to say I have many years of graduation memories because for 25 years of my active ministry, I served as pastor of churches that were located on the campuses of Presbyterian-related colleges. 
15 years as the pastor of University Presbyterian Church, which is on the campus of Trinity University in San Antonio, and 10 years at Davidson College Presbyterian Church, where I was the pastor, and where everybody is over the moon right now because three weeks ago on Sunday morning, Golden State Warrior Steph Curry was awarded his BA in sociology 13 years after he left following his junior year and then went into the NBA to become one of the greatest basketball players ever. And we're about to see it again in the NBA playoffs this year. So when I was the pastor on these uh, college campuses, I was introduced to a custom called the last lecture. The last lecture occurs when an esteemed professor who is retiring is invited to give a lecture and, I, and to say presumably everything that that professor had not gotten around to saying, even though he or she had been teaching for 20 or 30 years. Well, one might say that the book of Revelation and particularly the verses that we have read today are the last lecture being given by a man whose name is John. Now, this John is not garbed in academic regalia, marching in stately procession to the strains of pomp and circumstance. He is in exile. He's in exile on the island of Patmos, which is why he is popularly referred to as John of Patmos. And there he writes this last lecture. It's really more or less in the form of a letter a letter to be sent to seven early Christian churches who were scattered about Asia Minor. Now say the word church to any of us and the images that come to our minds are maybe pews or um, a baptismal font, a preacher, a choir, organs, offering baskets. And, uh, but in the day of John of Patmos, Churches were small groups of fearful Christians who had to slip out of their back doors under the cover of the darkness of night and then go to someone's home and gather there as unobtrusively as possible and so that they would not attract the attention of a Roman officer who may have been um, stationed right down there on the corner. And John probably did not know those to whom he was writing by name or maybe even by personal acquaintance. But rather, he did have a shared experience with them. He was in exile. He was alone and isolated. He was incarcerated. And just by picking up a quill and inking these words onto a parchment scroll, he was risking his life. He was risking his life. And so he knew that these Christians to whom he was writing might face the same kind of outcome because of their faith. And so he had an urgency about him that he wanted to do everything that he could, no matter what the risk, to encourage them in their faith. And so he prayed with prayerful passion, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come here, 
Come now. Come in me. Come in them. John wrote these words to encourage and strengthen the faith of other Christians. But I have to pause right here just for a moment and say that the language that John uses here in the passage that has been read this morning and also throughout the book of Revelation, it's language that can fall upon our ears and sound very extreme, off-putting, maybe even offensive. You may quarrel, as I sometimes do, with the wide furrow that, that John plows between people. Between people who on this side are good and faithful, and people who on this side are not. The people who on this side will wash their robes so that they might be granted the, the tree of life. And over on this side, the dogs and the sorcerers, the fornicators, the murderers, the idolaters. I mean, why does John put the dogs over on this side? That's what I want to know. I have a dog. His name's Leonard, and he's a very good dog most of the time. So you may find that off-putting, but to know the entire scope and the context in which John is writing may make the language that he uses easier for us to fathom. The great literary critic Frank Kermode has said that human beings have a deep need for knowing intelligible ends. And so what John is doing here when he assumes the voice of Jesus is to lay out the intelligible ends for people of faith. The intelligible end is this new cosmos, a world made new, where there, no, where there is no crying, where there is no pain, where there is no death, and every tear is wiped away from every eye. And so John is making it clear to those to whom he is right that, writing that there is a choice to be made and that people need to know what they are choosing when they choose to walk in the way of Jesus. It's an important choice, and it's a choice that says that your faith can't be put in a little box and shoved over to the side of your life and then pulled back out at times when you need it but it's encompassing for all of life. And when you make this choice to walk in the way of Jesus, it's a choice that may cost you something. This is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, and it is a day that is set aside in the United States of America to remember and to honor those who have made a choice. They have made a choice and have sacrificed their very lives for the sake of the American ideal of liberty and justice for all. 
I am very grateful to our member, James Scott, who wrote the book, many, several books, but this particular one, Target Tokyo, in which he introduced me to two people who, about whom I had not known before I read the book. And as I said, I mean, he introduced me to a lot of people I'd never known before, but I will speak about two of them today because their lives seem to align with this intelligible end of a world made new. The first of these individuals is William Farrow. He was called Billy. He grew up in Darlington. He was an Eagle Scout. He went to the University of South Carolina. And he volunteered to be a part of the mission that was commanded by Captain Jimmy Doolittle to attack Tokyo in retaliation for the Pearl Harbor attack. And Pharaoh's plane, that B-25, was the last of 16 aircraft to uh, leave the deck of the, the carrier um, USS Hornet. It was in the air for 16 hours and eventually, with the fuel gone, the crew bailed out. They were captured by the Japanese, and they were held. They were starved, they were tortured, and Billy Farrow, along with two other people, were tried and sentenced to be executed. When the day came, October 15th, 1942, they were told, the three of them, by a Japanese officer, Jesus Christ was born and died on a cross, and you, for your part, must die this way too. So they were led out, and crosses had been erected, three of them. They were told to kneel and then their arms were affixed to the crossbar of the cross, and then they were executed by firing squad. James Scott includes in his book excerpts from a memo that Billy Farrow had written to himself in 1940, and then letters that he wrote to his mother, his sister, his good friend, his aunt, and his girlfriend. And among those quotes are these. Stay close to God. Do his will and his commandments. Fear nothing. Look the world in the face. My faith in God is complete. And I am unafraid. The second individual is Jake DeCesar. And I will say that Jake DeCesar was in that group who um, were taken captive. He was not executed, so technically speaking, he's not one of those that we honor on Memorial Day. He lived to the age of 95 when he, before he died in 2008. And um, you can find um, 
interviews with him on YouTube. So uh, some of, you can actually hear his reflections on that time in his life. Um, and uh, he too was starved and uh, tortured in many ways. He was uh, a prisoner of war for more than three years. At some point, he was given a Bible. Now, what you need to know about Jake DeShazer is that when he learned on December 7th, 1941, hearing on the radio um, about the attack on Pearl Harbor, he was at his home in Oregon peeling potatoes, and immediately he erupted in rage and said, Japan will pay for this. And he, in these interviews, says that he was completely taken over by hatred and bitterness and anger. He became a bombardier, and he says that with every bomb that he dropped, he hoped that every person in Japan would die. Every person. Every person who was killed needed that. But while he was in prison, he was given a Bible, and he began to read it. And one day, the Bible opened to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. The verse reads this way. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Jacob DeSaver was saved. He says he felt the presence of God and almost immediately he was saved from his bitterness and anger and hatred. And he said he began to love his captors. And he began to pray. And as he says and in the interview, he began to cooperate with God. Jacob DeShazer was released in 1945. He came back to the States and he went to seminary. In 1948, he and his wife Florence went to Japan and there they served as missionaries for 30 years. The story doesn't end there. As it happens, uh, Jake DeShazer's story was published in a, a piece that was entitled, I Was a Prisoner of Japan. And one of the people who happened to read that was a military officer in Japan by the name of Mitsuo Fujita. Mitsuo Fujita had been the person to command the attack on Pearl Harbor. He read that piece that Jacob DeShazer had written. And he said, I need to read the Bible. And he read the Bible. He said he was 47 years old at the time and he had never heard the word Jesus. But he read the Bible and was particular particularly moved by Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
And in the interview, and you can find him on YouTube as well, in the interview, he said his life was transformed. And for the next few years until his death in 1976, he and Jacob DeShazer would preach. They would preach together throughout Japan. Jacob DeShazer made the choice to cooperate with God. This week, this past week, has been a terrible, terrible week. And our hearts are hurting for the people touched by the carnage in Uvalde, Texas. Not two weeks have passed since a massacre in a supermarket in Buffalo and a shooting in a Presbyterian church in Laguna Hills, California. And so many other incidences of violence that I can't tell you about because they haven't even made the news. And so the question is, as we read this text from our vantage point, how are we to cooperate with God? Throughout these weeks, I've been reading time and again opinion pieces from all quarters and I've been struck by how, how despairing they are. That nothing can ever, ever change. But you know, I am inspired by the Holy Spirit speaking through John of Patmos. And I am inspired by the Holy Spirit coming through the witness of Billy Farrow and Jacob DeSager. And so I refuse to give up hope that American Christians like you and like me, I refuse to give up hope that nothing can be done but that American Christians like you and me can continue to work together toward the intelligible end of this new world where death is ultimately defeated and every tear is wiped from every single eye. And so, my friends, let us make a choice. Let us choose to cooperate with God. Let us choose to cooperate with God to press elected officials to enact meaningful, effective gun laws. Let's choose to cooperate with God to urge them to strengthen mental health services. Let's choose to cooperate with God 
to lay aside some of our own agendas, the things that keep us busy every day, so that we can look into the eyes of our neighbors and see there the pain that is there and simply sit and be present with them? Let us choose to cooperate with God and to confess our own brokenness and our own need for salvation. And let us be in constant prayer, in concert with John of Patmos' last lecture. Let us pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come here. Come now. Come in us. Come through us. Amen.